So I think that higher education should really be excited about this because this is new federal money that's explicitly focused on evidence-based programs, but it also has this menu of options in terms of the types of interventions and practices that it would fund. Um, there's also an equity focus where states will be showing how they'll be improving outcomes for students of color, low-income students, students with disability, disabilities, first-generation students, and other student groups um, who would benefit from the funding. Hi, and welcome to an episode of Innovation Spotlight. I'm your host, Bridget Burns, Executive Director of the University Innovation Alliance. On these shows, we'll be highlighting a, a pressing issue or an innovation that will be critically important to helping the field, particularly when it comes to student success and college completion. So I am delighted to bring on two of uh, two fantastic senior policy analysts who are gonna give us insights about a pressing issue that is literally in real time uh, happening in Congress and potentially be able to position your you and your institution to know what you need to know about this issue. So the topic is the College Completion Fund. And I can't wait for you to know what that means, uh, which you will by the end of this conversation. So first, I want to welcome Dr. Bradley Custer from the Center for American Progress. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Bridget, and happy October. You too. And Dr. Jenna Sablin, who is from the SHIO, from SHIO, the State Higher Education Executive Officers Organization. Yeah, thank you for having me. And you're also a senior policy analyst, correct? Yes. Okay. So, uh, and so a little bit of background for those of you at home is I realize it's a Friday afternoon and you're just thinking, you know, turn it off for the weekend, but it turns out there's actually um, some pretty important stuff happening that could possibly uh positively benefit your work in higher ed. Um, and I was having a conversation, Bradley reached out and shared with me about the college completion fund. And I was like, we need to possibly do a show about this to be able to elevate what's going on. So I'm going to shift to asking a few questions about this in the hopes of distilling why you should care about this, how it could possibly affect higher education, and what it could mean for the future of student success. So that being said, Let's start with uh, Bradley. I want to know exactly what is the College Completion Fund? The College Completion Fund is the popular name for a new proposal for a federal pot of money that states and institutions can spend on student success initiatives. This idea has been around for a couple years, um, tacked onto previous free college uh, proposals. But what really breathed new life into the idea was that President Biden included the, the College Completion Fund in his American Families Plan. That's his outline for his um, budget priorities. Um, and uh, he included a really eye-popping allocation to that, uh, to that fund, $62 billion over a 10-year period. And so that has us all really excited that um, this money um, could be soon made available to institutions to spend on student success. Okay, so that's a lot of money. Um, I want to understand where this came from because the idea of talking about student or about completion is very, well, it's not new to us, but it feels like eight years ago, this would definitely have not been the case. Uh, and so I'm curious about where was the, what was the genesis for this idea? 
Uh, I think that's right. You know, uh, um, higher education policy has slowly moved from talking solely about access and financial aid. Of course, those issues are still important. And a big part of this bill is um, also free community college. So that's important. But we, we have come a long way in being able to talk about once students are in college, are we making sure, sure that they're getting through? And so this um, fund, um, uh, you, you know, there was during the Obama years, a smaller federal fund for institutions to use on, on some kinds of student success programming. But this really, this really is um, um, a program that has evolved. The idea has evolved. Um, and so we have a lot of advocates in the higher education policy space that have been concerned about graduation rates. Um, certainly for economic reasons, we want people to be uh, to, to have those college credentials completed um, so that they can get the benefits of uh, of having a college degree. And so here we are with a really historic proposal on our hands um, that is you know within reach here in the next couple of weeks. Okay, so that's super cool. I'm curious um, if uh, Jenna, can you talk to me about why why should higher ed institutions? be excited about this? Because I think uh, sometimes we can get our hopes up about things federally and then it, they, it doesn't go anywhere. So I just want to, could you set the context about like, why should they care and what should they pay attention to? Sure. So I think that higher education should really be excited about this because this is new federal money that's explicitly focused on evidence-based programs, but it also has this menu of options in terms of the types of interventions and practices that it would fund. Um, there's also an equity focus where states will be showing how they'll be improving outcomes for students of color, low-income students, students with disability, disabilities, first-generation students, and other student groups um, who would benefit from the funding. And I also wanted to add to the discussion that we were just having, um, talking about moving from access to completion. I think the other um, sort of way this program is showing where we're evolving uh, in higher education is that for too long, there's been this dominant discourse at times that students didn't succeed in college because they weren't quote unquote college ready. And that was sometimes really presented in a really deficit uh, frame. But really what was needed was more institutional support and greater support for students' basic needs, wraparound services, comprehensive academic services, and policy reform. So this fund is really a first step in this direction of addressing those institutional barriers and those state level policies and programs that really could affect student success and college completion. And I think the other really exciting thing um, that, that um, we should be talking about is the explicit language in the bill text about evidence-based programs. Not only does Congress recognized the need to improve completion. Um, they also recognized that we know that some strategies are better than others in moving the needle on student success, especially retention, transfer, and completion. And so a portion of, the, of this fund theoretically um, is, can only be used on programs that have um, rigorous evidence suggesting that they uh, that they are effective, and that is important because we want the best bang for our buck from these new federal dollars. So the fact that even the words "evidence based" appear in the text is really exciting. So I just want to ask the obvious question from my end of things because we were aware of just how little is in the What Works Clearinghouse in terms of interventions that campuses can draw upon. And so that's just one concern, right? But the second is that 
we're in the midst of an unprecedented time in, in a very like real way. My campuses are in real time innovating and adapting what they do and the kind of old old interventions that might have worked are needing to be kind of reimagined in in light of COVID so that we can truly do a, a meaningful academic recovery and really help our students, especially those where we saw equity gaps grew, et cetera. So um, I know that might not be something you prepared for, but I'm, I'm curious about, is there any flexibility on that? Because we actually are making, we're needing to make evidence in real time and we're needing to validate new ideas in real time because the challenges. I mean, the stuff that is coming for spring of 2022, like we just have never had. In the bill text, there is sort of a list of things that institutions can do. So 30% of the funding has to be dedicated to the evidence-based programs that like you like you pointed to might appear in a database like the WhatWorks um, Clearinghouse. And those are programs that the Department of Education have identified they've um, pulled those studies and they've sort of more or less endorsed them. But the rest of the funding um, can be spent on a wide range of things and, and they're listed in the statute. Some of those things include um, com comprehensive academic career and student support services, um, emergency financial aid grant programs, um, reforming your remedial and developmental um, education, uh, working on your transfer pathways between um, programs. So what's really going to happen here is that institutions and states are going to have to make a case for why they think their programs um, are evidence-based and are worthy of receiving federal funding. So institutions might point to published literature or um, third-party evaluations of programs. They might even be able to use evidence from their own campus suggesting that some of these are working. So you know, I think the goal here is to give some flexibility to institutions while also pointing them towards the best available options. Is there going to be any plan, uh, Jenna, I don't know if you know this, this answer, so this is a curveball. Is there any plan to have campuses who participate, if they were to receive these funds, um, engage in some kind of data sharing or evaluation? Just because, again, some of the practices might have some degree of data, but again, we've got to do the COVID adaptation for a lot of things. And I don't know if that's something that's already planned for. Of course, you know, things can continue to evolve. Is there anything in there about kind of data sharing or um, evaluation of what would be implemented? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so this program would actually run through the states and the states would be uh, administering the program, distributing the funds, um, distributing the funds to institutions and in including that evaluating the programs. And there's actually a set aside in the fund for states to not only administer the program, but also evaluate the program. So there would be that opportunity for the states to, um, to report, whether it's through benchmarking or through evaluations back to the department uh, to, to, like you said, uh, uh, track that data and know how the program is progressing and making an impact on completion rates. So I'm curious about the types of institutions uh, Jenna, can you share about, I'm assuming it's all Title IV eligible institutions, but is there like, is that not true or are there a specific subset that they want to focus on? Or is this going to be something entirely set by the states who have a criteria that they can establish? Sure. So um, the program is set up where states would really be in the driver's seat of this program. Uh, they'd be responsible for applying for the funds, administering them, um, and 
um, as Bradley was talking about, they'd have to demonstrate how the evidence base is being used to inform um, that selection of interventions and practices. But they'd also have to show how this fits into a larger picture of state finance equity in the state and how it would lead to improvements uh, in college completion for demographic groups. So while the state will be responsible for determining how to allocate money to the institutions, um, they'd be giving priority uh, the, the bill is asking them to give priority to those less resourced institutions that tend to serve disproportionate populations of students of color, low-income students, students with disabilities, first-generation students, and other specific student demographics, as well as those institutions that tend to receive less funding. Um, so, you know, you may be asking, you know, why, why go through the states and why not give that money uh, directly to the institutions. And uh, one reason is that the state systems or the state agencies of higher education um, are really uniquely positioned to scale these interventions. So we know that these individual institutions uh, are doing some of this important innovative work to support student needs. Um, but by putting that, uh, putting the states in the driver's seat, it helps ensure that we're uh, we're really focusing on replication and scale. So that is, that's interesting. Cause I didn't, um, what states do you think are showing that they, as the system level are really effective at helping with innovation and scale? I know that that is something that we are seeing an emphasis on throughout the country. And we know higher ed institutions have struggled with that in the past, but States are also a place where there's a lot of competition. And I've often found that it's quite hard to get practice sharing going in a state. Um, but on, this, on the other hand, I actually do think the states are the right intermediary because that's where the funding is coming from anyway. They're already going to be a part of those conversations. You already have the coordinating bodies. You already have the governing. Like it's, it's, it's one space plus with the accountability of any of the, um, the statewide data transparency and kind of reports that come out. So it makes sense to me, but I just want to push on the issue of, is there a state in particular that you think is a exemplar when it comes to what we're saying states are good at, which is share, scaling and sharing? Um, I, you know, I'd have to think about if I could think of one particular state that is uh, an exemplar, but I think what the, what the bill is really um, trying to do is exactly those things that you're talking about, right? It's, it's both addressing the administration of the program and the evaluation. And another important uh, part of the bill is it's not just those institutional interventions, it's also statewide pro programs and practices, right? So some of those things Bradley talked about, like transfer and articulation or um, uh, pathways or, uh, you know, early college high schools and, and dual enrollment, those are really um, developmental education reform, right? Those are really, um, like you were talking about, these state level issues. Um, so, so I think that there will be some states that will use this funding for some of that state level work around, say, dev ed reform or transfer pathways. And there'll be other states that will really be looking to some more on the ground institutional work and, and supporting institutions and kind of scaling and spreading some of those more institutional focused um, services and interventions. Great. And so Riley or Jenna, do either of you know if, um, are there resources going to be provided to like state SHEOs or otherwise to actually support this? Because as much as we want states to be 
focus on sharing and scaling. I know actually how hard that is. And it's not something that can just exist with just we can run with existing capacity out of state systems. They actually need support for this. And, you know, whether it's about the data, whether it's about surfing, surfacing insights and learning or um, it, the support that I think individual campuses are going to need. Is there money going to go to the state? OK, good. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. There's actually in the bill a 3% set aside to go to states for administering the program and a 3% set aside uh, for evaluation. So I think that's a really exciting thing to see for exactly the issues you were identifying, Bridget. Okay, and, and, then and there's also, sorry, and there's also even a, a line in there that says um, it's possible that third-party organizations can have a role in helping to administer the program. And that's especially important. I think that gets to your question about like SHEO capacity. There may be some states that need the help of a third party if they don't have a strong higher education agency to help administer this program that, so that those states um, aren't left out of this program. Oh, that's great. Actually, that makes a lot more sense for me because I'm thinking about um, there have been a lot of new organizations evolving um, to, to do this. Obviously, this is what our organization does, but I'm not saying that we have the capacity to support states. But uh, with the Gates Foundation's Intermediaries for Scale and a variety of other investments that have been made, the ecosystem is now, I think, becoming a bit more inclined to developing the muscle necessary to do this kind of work. So that's um, that's interesting. I, wait, and how much money is this again, Bradley? Okay, so I, I didn't mean to bury the lead. President Biden called for 62 billion, but the number that we have now in the House bill is down to 9 billion over seven years. So I know that sounds a lot less than 62 billion because it is, um, but it's uh, there's still a lot there to work with and there's still a lot to be optimistic about. 9 billion over, uh, I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not complaining about that. Um, that is, that's a lot of money. Um, nine so, billion, nine billion over seven oh, years. Mil- still, oh, sorry, I thought it was billion. Oh, we're even better. Bees, even yes. better. That's that's the kind of uh, that's the kind of update I'd like to make. Okay, so but let me get this straight. Um, so as we're talking uh, for folks at home, so a state has to agree to do free college in order to be eligible. So there are going to be some states who want to do this and there are some that don't. And I don't expect that we know who those are, but have there been any, um, I, I live in a state where free college is, uh, is, is actually, uh, been implemented. And so I'm not entirely sure which states have already come out vocally against it, or if there are any, are, are there like states that it's a, it's a definite no for free college that we know of? Do either of you know? Are you allowed to talk about this? I'm like, <laughs> is this the controversial issue? <laughs> I haven't heard any definite yeses or nos. I think from, from estimates, we can tell which states will have to put in more money than they do already to make that match worth. Uh, uh, states have to put in a certain amount of money uh, to match the federal dollars for the free, uh, for the tuition-free community college side of the portion. Um, and so we know that for some states, it's going to be a lot of money. And we just don't know if they have the fiscal ability to do that. And then there's also some political calculations here. So we can look at the, the numbers and sort of estimate which states it's going to be harder for than others. But I haven't heard uh, anybody saying yes or no, for sure, we want to participate in, in the federal free college program. Okay, super helpful. Um, okay, so we've got six, nine billion over seven years. You have to participate in the free college program. And if you participate in the free college program, there's a match requirement. So, and then it goes to the state's SHEO or the state 
whatever the state allocation body is. And then they will develop their own formula to allocate to individual institutions based on proposals that will come from campuses based on proven practices and their plans to implement them. Is that correct? I think you have it right. You know, some of those details on exactly how the money will flow will be left to the Department of Education, the U.S. Department of Education to figure out. Um, but I think that's right. Okay. I mean, that's a great problem to figure out. And also, I think because of the recent CARES investment, um, which is, for, you know, for a lot of campuses really was triaging and stopping the bleeding on so many levels. But I do think that we're seeing some campuses who are particularly innovative and creative and used those resources for proven practices. So you actually would have a sense of who is not just willing, but actually already invested in trying to do the kinds of practices we're talking about, um, which, you know, at the end of the day, the limit to most of these kinds of innovations that we're talking about is the resources that the, stu the campuses have. There's always a need for more if we're really going to take it seriously. So um, thanks for coming to my TED talk about that. Um, Jenna, did you want to respond? Uh, no, I mean, I think you're you're covering it. I think it's the the idea that in the bill, you know, there is the evidence set aside, but then there's also room for innovation. There's uh, a list of, of practices and interventions, but it's really states coming up with plans that really fit those institutional contexts or those state needs that, you know, they feel will, will really, um, uh, uh, you know, speak to the most pressing completion needs in their, their, their particular context. Super helpful. And we also got a comment from Oh, Louis Flores, thanks for joining us from ACE. Um, lots of variables on funding, I am sure. And I bet we should probably just have you come into the back green room and you could tell us um, what more of the variables that we should be thinking about. So um, it sounds like this is something that has support from the major higher education associations and those who are you know, really on the ground in DC. Um, but I did want to ask about you know, what what this is come kind of swimming with, because I know that there are, there's a limit to the amount of attention. There is a limit to the amount of political will. And so there's, what else is in this space right now that's being considered and that it might be competing with? That's right. So the, the college com, uh, completion fund we already discussed is attached to a tuition free community college program. That's something that states will opt into if they want to. We talked about how that comes with a match. But what's really exciting about this is that it has the potential to change the way public higher education is funded in this country because of this direct flow of federal funding directly to um, states and institutions, um, which replaces money that students are paying out of pocket through tuition. That's the purpose of the free um, college program. So that piece is in this bill alongside um, the College Completion Fund. And then also we um, expect to see a $500 increase to the Pell Grant. Um, um, that's one step along the way to doubling the Pell Grant, which is, you know, in my opinion, a, a, an important uh, uh, initiative. And then the last piece is it sort of works similar to the free college um, program, but uh, students at HBCUs, I should spell that out, historically black colleges and universities, minority serving institutions, and tribal colleges and universities. Um, there's a new uh, subsidy program, which is where um, the federal government will send money to those institutions um, to, to, to bring down 
the cost of tuition. So unlike the free college program, it probably won't bring that down to $0 for students at those institutions, but it brings it down. Again, trying to reduce the out-of-pocket cost for students at those institutions. Um, obviously, those institutions support um, in, uh, uh, students that, that really need this kind of support. So again, it's another really um, unique and powerful investment in student success and access um, coming from the federal government in this bill. We got a question that came in live, which is, will the multi-trillion dollar congressional package affect this initiative? So do either of you have any sense? Thank you so much, Lewis, for throwing that in. Yeah, so I, you know, I think, uh, you know, you kind of asked about competition and competing funds, and it's unfortunate to talk about, uh, you know, these social investments as competing with each other. But uh, this uh, bill is coming through a process called budget reconciliation, which has a lot of limitations procedurally and budgetary wise in terms of what can be included and how much can be included. And then that's all subject to congressional ne negotiations. So right now what we're seeing is um, a lot of negotiations actively happening on Capitol Hill in terms of what will be the total number uh, of spending for the entire bill. And this bit, this college completion fund um, and even the free college parts and the Pell Grant programs, that's actually just a small part of a huge multi-trillion dollar bill that's addressing many issues from healthcare to climate change to to uh, uh, K-12 education, childcare. So, you know, it's really about, um, there's gonna be a lot of politics that happen. And so, you know, part of, of what's great about this is, is really informing the higher education community uh, about this uh, $9 billion fund and why it's so important to make sure that the momentum is behind it to keep it as part of the bill as those negotiations um, continue to move forward on Capitol Hill. I keep muting myself for no reason. Um, do you expect this to pass, Jenna? <laughs> you know, I think that I got assigned the really hard question. Um, the other ones were like really super easy. Um, I I am, uh, uh, you know, optimistic. Um, I think that there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of nervousness right now because um, of the, the the negotiations and certain senators or members of Congress um, wanting their priorities included. The, there, there's um, concerns about the bipartisan infrastructure package and whether or not that will be voted on with or without this. Um, you know, but we're really, really close. This is the closest we've ever been to a federal state partnership and to um, to this kind of college completion fund. I mean, these are, are really significant investments in higher education, probably in the past few decades, right? We're not just talking about small increases to Pell um, or, or certain um, grant programs. We're really talking about a, a federal state partnership. We're talking about a $9 billion completion fund. So, you know, I, I don't know if it will pass, but I am optimistic and hopeful. Well, and I just, I think that sometimes we have such a short-term way of looking at these things, but as someone who, I remember when Dr. Sarah Goldegrab was first invited to the West Wing of the White House to meet with James Qual and um, colleagues about the possibility of free college. And I remember that being a profound moment and it was since the Alliance has started. So that was only eight years ago. So in that amount of time, yes, it, came, it pops its head up 
it gets batted down. It gets pops its head up, pop, batted down. And then eventually now, you know, I'm in a, I'm in Oregon where we have free community college, but it's actually being talked about at a much grander scale. Like this is how this happens. So for folks at home, the really profound thing here is that this exists. The fact that we're even having a conversation about federal funding for higher ed instead of just complaining about state disinvestment, which is like the most, like the oldest message in the book. And it just, it's not, res it's not, it's not, we're not going to get anywhere with that. Um, that we, that we actually have a, a viable potential option out there is even if it doesn't go anywhere this next week, I think it's profound in that it's the first, uh, it's the first hint that this is a possibility. And we obviously, I think for me, as someone who spends my time on higher education innovation and, and student success, we got to do the work to make this possible in the future, which is states need to figure out how to actually do the scale and innovation stuff you talked about. We need to do a better job supporting the diffusion of ideas between campuses. We need to really look hard about at the number and types of interventions that exist with the kind of evidence that we're asking for. And we should definitely be investing in more of that, especially the post-COVID stuff for academic recovery. But like, um, I think this is exciting and it's it's promising, but it also tells us to get to work because this is something that just like with free college, it's very likely that it will eventually happen. And we have the time now to, to lay the groundwork, especially because with CARES Act money, we already have a little bit of uh, a little bit of resources to be able to make these kind of investments. So that's my it's um, my second TED talk for this conversation. That's how I'm looking at it. Um, I think it's super cool and interesting. And uh, yeah, this is why I don't work in federal policy or do uh, any kind of lobbying because, you know, it seems like you guys have to probably pay attention. Like it, it changes every minute, I bet. So um, yeah, nobody, um, nobody write checks or cash checks based on this. But if you want to valid, if you want to send some support, if you want to signal your interest in this, it sounds like people should be using the hashtag college completion fund. And what other things can people be doing to really draw attention and urgency to this? Uh, college students and, and uh, faculty and college administrators can absolutely be contacting their own representatives in Congress and in the Senate to be, you know, uh, uh, um, signaling their support for uh, free community college, increases to Pell Grants, the College Completion Fund. But, you know, I think institutions have a lot of power here, too. And so when um, um, institution representatives, college presidents, government relations folks are also lending their voices to this effort, um, sending, sending letters, calling. Uh, I think that has the potential to, uh, to get this across the finish line. We are really close. It's gonna be in the next couple of weeks that we get an answer on this. And, and like Bridget you know, said, even if it doesn't happen this time, the momentum is here. And I think we will get it across the finish line in the near future. Well, great. Well, thank you. Uh, this has been really, I think, uh, profound for us to think about and to take this moment. So Dr. Jenna Sablin from the from SHIO, uh, Dr. Bradley Custer from the Center for American Progress, uh, really appreciate you spending the time to help educate us on why we should care about this, what, what it means, how it could possibly be implemented. And for those of you at home, if you have other ideas for innovations that we can spotlight, Feel free to contact me. My DMs are open on Twitter. And otherwise, you all have a great week. Thank you so much. This was really great. Thanks. Bye.